Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, how you doing? A little weird, I'm a little out of sorts, out of place. And it might be uh, talk radio with no static, but there's a definite sound effect you might hear because lying next to me is a dog. Chewing on a bone. On a, it's actually it's not a bone. It's a God. I don't even want to know. It's a body part of some long dead animal. What is that? It's a, a hoof or something. Hoof or hoof. Not sure which. How you doing? It's April 19, and uh, it's a Monday, and I am not where I usually am. So I am a little discombobulated isn't that weird i just don't quite feel like i'm i'm in my parents old bedroom in green bay wisconsin and since we spoke last i've i've been in more states more places than i've been in over a year because i have been stuck in pittsburgh pennsylvania almost specifically in my house and uh it's been odd being out. Um, I'm going to brag a little bit here. I made it from Pittsburgh to Chicago without stopping for a bathroom break. Is that impressive? I'm telling you, is that impressive for an old lady? Now, granted, I stopped, but only to get more gas and to let my dog go to the bathroom, but I, I managed. Also, uh, driving into Chicago, um, the news was of yet another shooting of a black, this was a child, 13-year-old. I understand that Sean Hannity called him a 13-year-old black man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think uh, Sean Hannity uh, called uh, Rittenhouse, the white guy who killed uh, who killed people in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He called he always called him a child. Yeah. So as I was driving into Chicago, I did notice. Um, police. Uh, starting to sort of congregate on some some major uh, intersections that I happened to drive by. And I thought, this is my country. This is my America. And in the last three days, has it been, that I've been gone? I mean, this is my country. I can't keep track of the mass shootings. I drove right past Kenosha, Wisconsin, and uh, there was a mass shooting there, I think yesterday. Um, and then later in the day, I happened to see on my Twitter account something about a mass shooting, and I assumed, oh, it's Kenosha. No, it was Austin, Texas. And then a little bit later, oh, another one, Shreveport, 
And I didn't even mention FedEx because I drove through Indiana and shortly after I cleared the state, all those people lost their lives in that horrific mass shooting. And it's, this country is, guys, it's diseased. It is, it is, There's a song in my head and it's driving me crazy and I haven't thought of it in a million years. And I think it's a song I sang when I was a kid in school. And maybe because I'm here where I went to school as a kid, it's in my head. And it's this rousing patriotic anthem. And the first words of it are, this is my country. And maybe because I keep thinking, this is my country, with my head in my hands, shaking my head, this is my country, that song has come back. And I was thinking, wow, this is my country. I won't sing, don't worry, don't worry. Land of my birth, this is my country, grandest on earth. It isn't. It's sick. It is sick. Closing arguments in the Chauvin trial this morning. And um, I hate to even contemplate what happens if there is not a guilty verdict there. I hate to contemplate. Since the testimony began, by the way, in that trial, 64 more people have died at the hands of police in this country. Since the trial began, 64 more people have died at the hands of police. And it shouldn't surprise you that black and Latinos represent more than half of those dead. The killings average out to three a day. And you can argue that policing is a dangerous profession. And of course, some of those dead may have asked for it. Uh, The police may have found themselves in a situation where nothing else would, would be a, in fact, reasonable thing to have had to resort to. But you know a whole bunch of others not. They might involve somebody who's mentally ill and acting out. They might have involved a traffic stop that escalated. Things seem to always escalate, right? And it's not always the person stopped who does the escalating. It quite often, it seems to me, is the police. Black people represent 
8% of the population of Minnesota. They account for the majority of traffic stops. Think of that. They make up 8%. They also account for more than half of the traffic stops. Traffic stops for things as stupid as an air freshener hanging from a mirror or a misplaced tag or a light bulb that's gone off. And these kinds of stops result in death. It's these kinds of things that have to stop. And what I'm referring to, the term I've heard that resonates with me is over-policing. Over-policing. There is no reason why police should pull over cars for these minor offenses. No reason whatsoever. They pose no real risk. Obviously, license plates can be taken down and a letter sent to the registrant of the car informing them that they have been seen to have an, unex an expired plate or whatever. There is no reason for so much of the police interaction in this country that results in the death of innocent people. We've just got to, got to get a handle on this if it's possible. Are we as a country willing to live with, um, I don't know, how many mass shootings really in the last three days? Are we, is this just, this is America. This is, my, oh, I wasn't going to say my country. Is this my country? I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I'm ashamed of it. And tell me if a black American can sing, this is my country. Huh? Is that song meant for black people or is that just a white person song? I think it's a white person song. Even though black people, I think, are overrepresented in our military, right? So they serve our country. They put their lives on the line for this country in numbers greater than their percentage in the population. But this is not their country. I'm sorry, I'm trying to check out. Zach, I, I know my producer is trying to tell me something and I'm, hang on. I just don't have my usual setup here. Oh, I have a caller. Um, all right, come on in. Hello. Hi. Um, Hi. I was calling because I, uh, it's on this current topic, but it was from your show a week ago where you had two callers who said, you, you know, the classic thing that none of this would have happened if these people had complied. Yes, uh, that is true. None, none of this would, if they had just followed the police's get out of the car. That's right. And we know, like Adam Taylor, what was his name? Adam Toledo complied and was shot. 
Yeah. Brianna, Brianna Taylor was shot in her red. Tamir Rice was a child playing with a BB gun. In a park. Okay. Didn't ever given any chance to do anything. Yeah. And would have been shot had he complied. Mm-hmm. Um, who cares if they, I mean, I'm agreeing totally with what you just said. Like, who cares if they complied? How was George Floyd's life not worth the $20 that he might have? Uh, I mean, I don't understand why this. Yeah, uh, the passing of a $20 counter bill should result yeah. in that. Or, right. or the license plate, like you mentioned, right. that they had al- already knew was on the car by the time they got to the driver's door. Exactly. They, they lied about that. Yes. So, and then what does this need to get everybody out of their car and face down in the street anyways? I don't get that. Like, it doesn't matter what the offense is or isn't or whatever. Well, who wants to lay down in the street? <laughs> Have you ever, you know, here, okay, I'm, are you white? You're white, right? I'm white. Yes, I am. Have you ever, I, I mean, I've been stopped by the police. I have, been I have the- never been asked to get out of the car. In fact, no. quite the opposite. I have been told, stay in the car. I have never been asked to get out. How come they're always being asked to get out of the car? And, um, and, 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 and often, you know, like, you know, get into a position. What have they done? I I have no, I have not even the slightest idea. And, uh, how do you like starting my first time I ever thought this was, was Johnny Gamage. Like how do the people in charge of the situation, the police get away with saying they pulled over Somebody who might have dri- might have there's no evidence that he ever drifted over any center line, right? And the guy ends up dead. And yet the people in charge of the situation are not responsible. Can you think of any other case no. in life where the people in charge are, have no responsibility whatsoever? And like, and did not the the first caller last week who was yelling like I know he's a regular caller and most of the time I agree with him. Right. But like he was, I couldn't believe what I was hearing him say. Uh, was that not the same defense that is used for? Uh, well, these girls shouldn't have worn a, a short skirt when they went out that night, so they deserve to be raped. How how is it different than what he was saying? And that thing we've all heard for how many decades? Right. It's the exact same defense. Of a well, the defense is it's the victim's fault. Yeah, it is George Floyd's fault he's dead. Right. It is the 13-year-old kid in Chicago's fault. It is. Yeah, it is. I, I, I'm blanking on the, you know, they say, say their names. I I was pretty good there for a while, but the yeah, names are now so many, I can't even, I, I can't, my head swims. No, I just happen to know that was Adam Toledo, and we're supposed to say it was his fault because he was 13 and out at 2.30 in the morning. I'd like to know. Like how many of these people, I don't think I'm the only one who ever snuck out of my house in the middle of the night. I mean, and it sounds like. You didn't like have to worry about a cop killing you. I agree. No, I agree. No, I might have had somebody else kill me, but not, <laughs> not <laughs> right. the cops. <laughs> right, right. No, but I, that was just, that call really well, got me. Like, and I, because I've been listening to um, conservative talk shows and that's what they have said for years now. And that's, you know, to hear that coming out of his mouth. Um, you know, that was, well, the fact that it, um, I mean, it's almost a week later and you're calling in response to it just shows how it really, 
I didn't listen okay. to it until Friday until as a podcast, but the yeah. still yeah, I thought about it all weekend and was asking yeah. my wife, like, is this how is this different than like saying that they shouldn't wear a short skirt or girls shouldn't go out or like women should have to wear a burka because it's like men can't possibly stand looking, can't resist looking at their bodies. That's right. Um, it's all the same. Yeah, like, well, why do black people leave their house? Well, you know what? It it comes back to the fact, okay, so women have to be put under huge tablecloths so men won't be aroused and want to, you know, rape them. Uh, Girls can't wear short skirts because, yes, they'll be they'll be raped because men can't control themselves. And and the fact is, is, yes, in regard to this, uh, the po- over policing and the police's inabil- police inability also to seemingly control themselves. It all. Yeah. It's like, uh, why don't like white guys and the white guys in authority have to control themselves? Only right. their victims are supposed to have exercised right. control. So that's all. The recording of that, the one in Virginia, I don't know his name at all. Oh, yeah, God. The, 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 the older. Those cops yeah. were completely out of control, and yet they're, and, uh, but That guy was, said, that guy said, I'm afraid, they said, get out of the car. And he said, I'm honestly afraid to get said, out. He said with his hands up, to get out of the car. And, they and then the told cop him, replies, you should be afraid. Yeah. You're going to be riding what the the lightning. How do you comply with that? You can't. How do you comply yeah. with that? Yeah. Then what are you supposed to do? Right. And like, and even in the case with the Adam Toledo, he did comply, and they shot him anyway. It doesn't. You, it doesn't matter what they do; they end up dead. So don't tell me that they would have had they just complied. Yeah. That is completely every piece of evidence we have says that that is absolutely false. So, well, uh, I, I, I thank you. I thank it. you for your um, your passionate and eloquent rebuttal. Well, I felt bad listening to you because I think you I have a I don't know exactly what was going on in your head, but you seemed stunned. And uh, I was stunned. I don't, I don't I was stunned, and I, I don't think I you know adequately responded myself. I was I was no, stunned. He's a regular caller, and I'm yeah, I like I, I like him very much. I, I that's a great I, I love him. He's been a caller to my show for a long, long time, and I was really stunned. I was I'm sure stunned, I wasn't totally stunned listening to shocked yeah. by that, too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey anyway. thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Bye. it. Bye. Have a good trip out there. Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye. You know, okay. Um, Jonathan Capehart, who writes a column in the Washington Post, uh, talks, uh, the headline is, uh, being black in America is exhausting. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want, he, for those of you who maybe have some trouble with empathy, you know, walking in someone else's shoes, this is exactly what he tries to do for you. He takes you on a walk, uh, that he would take, um, He says, there is no one way to be black in America, but there is one way we live while black in America. No matter our gender, our age, our socioeconomic status, we are viewed as threats. And as a result, we live under siege. Now, imagine if you can, if you're capable, 
that is something alien to being white in America. It's alien to us. And he talks about that a black person every day goes through some form of mental calculus before they start their day. And then that calculus has to be adjusted depending on a location they find themselves in, a circumstance they find themselves in. And black children are taught early about this calculus. He says, my mother taught me the first few pieces when I was a kid, don't run in public. Don't run in public with anything in your hands. Don't talk back to the police. As I got older, he says that calculus grew in length and psychological weight. In 1999, when that Amadou Diallo was killed by New York City cops who, who put 41 bullets into him because they thought he had a gun. He did not. It was his wallet. And Capehart says, after that, I switched from a silver money clip to a regular wallet for fear of the reaction to a glint of metal by police. He says, my cell phone cover is always a vibrant color so that no one thinks I'm carrying a gun. I never pull out my keys in public until I absolutely have to. Someone might think I'm carrying a knife. At night, I always walk down well-lit streets with lots of foot traffic. Far too many automatically assume that black people in dark spaces I guess need to be killed, are suspicious. He says, even before COVID-19, I maintained a social distance, never walking directly behind anyone, especially, God knows, a white woman. Before I pass somebody, I always do a shuffle step to alert them to my presence. And that's assuming I actually don't cross the street or take a different route to avoid the whole thing altogether. I do the same when having to pass by an open air bar featuring large groups of white men. And on and on he goes. You know how you might stop and admire a nice house? I don't. My admiration is done on the move. You know how you might take a look inside a sweet car parked on the street? <laughs> I don't. I look from a distance. And as I consider buying a car, my interior color selection will hue toward tan. The better for the police to see inside in case I do get stopped for driving a nice car or whatever which is why my dream of driving across country will remain a dream. Then there are all the little indignities, the clutched purse by a white woman, 
the tap of a back pocket you see by a white man to make sure his wallet's still there. The fitness room that seems to empty out shortly after I arrive. The salesperson who only talks to my, my white husband. And then he says this, the one comfort I take in this harrowing time is that fewer white people will write off what I have just said as petty or paranoid. They've seen the videos. They've heard the wails of distraught families and angry communities, and they're starting to understand the contours of our pain. You know, I remember once uh, trying to explain and not taking away anything from that, what it is to be black in America, but also white men need to understand that a woman has these kinds of calculations too, by virtue of being a woman, that we don't walk in certain places or can't buy, we, don't, we do not have the freedom that white men have. And I, you know, it, 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 I understand it's difficult for white men to comprehend that what they think of as just regular life is easier in so many ways, less fraught, less risky, Um, and speaking of risk, here's an interesting thing I wanted to share with you. Um, where did I see this? In the New York Times today. And it has to do with why the hell are so many people afraid of, you know, the vaccine or, you know, what is going on there? And in the article, they, oh, don't tell me I can't read. I pay you $1,000 a, God dang it. They're telling me I can't read this. <laughs> I can't stand this. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know why it won't let me on. Um, but it starts with a, um, I think a law professor uh, who who tells his asks his students um, a, a question, and it is uh, this: Guido Calabresi, my brother's sitting here. He knows he's not. You know him, Guido Calabresi, a federal judge and Yale law professor, invented a little fable that he's been telling law students for more than three decades. He tells the students to imagine a God coming forth to offer society a wondrous invention that would improve everyday life in almost every way. It would allow people to spend more time with friends and family. It would allow them to see new places and do jobs that they otherwise could not. 
but it would also come with a high cost in exchange for bestowing this invention on society. The God would choose 1,000 young men and women and strike them dead. And then he asked the class, would you take the deal? And almost invariably, they say, being young men and women, they say, no. And then the professor says, what's the difference between what I just said and the automobile? Automobiles kill more than a thousand young Americans each year. In fact, 40,000 Americans are killed every year. And we accept this trade-off, this toll, unthinkingly. But because this has always been the case, we can't fathom a world without vehicles. And so it's, this is a classic example of human irrationality about risk. You know, we often underestimate large dangers like car crashes or global warming or small particulate air pollution, which if you're in Pittsburgh right now, you are breathing in with each breath. We don't think about those things, which we should. Instead, we fixate on tiny things like shark attacks, right? I'm going to be bitten by a certain mosquito that'll take me out, right? And you see the behaviors. Everybody now has these ring doorbells where they can see people. People live in terror of bullshit. and don't recognize real risk. And we're seeing that play out big time with this vaccine, vaccine craziness. I am told that Clarence is on the line and Clarence, I actually wanna to talk to you. It's funny. Clarence, are you there? Yes, and I knew that you wanted to talk to me. I have this superpower. I am a black yeah, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, you. What, Here what is you why. I have two reasons I have thought of you in the last 24 hours, okay? Yeah. One is that I'm sitting in my mom's den, and um, that caricature that you drew of two of her grandchildren is just so masterful, just captures them. And I it takes so much delight in it, as does she. She thinks you're a genius. I just want you to know. Ah, that, okay. That, that, that made my day so far. Okay. You know, here's the other thing. Good. <laughs> here's the other thing. I'm reading the New York Times uh, yesterday, and they do a full page article set in your hometown. Really? What's it, it about? Dateline, Cannonsburg, PA. And here it says, right in the second paragraph, they say this. This patriotic town south of Pittsburgh. Now, 
First of all, that annoyed me because what does that mean? Do you find uh, Cannonsburg particularly? But what the hell does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I thank you. Okay, so now it says, and I want, I want you because you grew up there. Did you grow up there? Grew up there, still here. Yeah, I've been here since. What's the black population of? What's the percentage black population in Canada? Probably like probably like four percent, maybe. About four percent, really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you grew up. Okay, okay. It says here a town of nine thousand. Yeah. That was once a center of coal and steel. Yep. Cannonsburg is filled with close set houses, many with broad front porches that rise up steep hills. Mm-hmm. In front of the town hall stands a clock presented by the Italian American Association and a statue of Perry Como. So far, it's accurate. Yeah, so far, it's right. We're dead on, right? Yep. Perry Como, who clipped hair in town as a barber. His barbershop is still there, but you can't. That barbershop is it is. There's, you, you can, you, there's no access to it. There's a uh, PNC bank that's just in the center of town that used to have a stairs, stairs that went down <laughs> under, that, that went underneath it. It was Pittsburgh National back then. There were stairs that went underneath it. They, they've been. You can access it through the basement of you know the PNC bank, but you all can't right. access it through the outside. But it's, and everything's still okay. in there, by the way. Well, yeah. you're going to know all this. And so, so it says, uh-huh. um, the busiest enterprises on Pike Street. Uh, are a thrift store, a church-operated food bank, and fix your cat. A nah, storefront that, nonprofit that spays uh, and 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 neuters cats. Yes or no? It's not the. It, it's there, but it's not the busiest. It's the busiest right now during the pandemic. Well, it's, I, the, the reporter is saying it was the busiest when she was there, or he okay. was there, or whatever. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I just, of course, I thought of you because. This is a bullshit article about how they went to Cannesburg and interviewed, you know, people mm-hmm. as representative of conservative, you know, small town America and how and a home of many veterans and how they were responding to Biden's pullout in Afghanistan. That's mm-hmm. that, that, that. That's all. But, there, you know, it's just so odd the way uh, newspapers will hang a story on a, you know, how they will frame it. So I'm, I'm just telling you, Cannonsburg is, uh, and cool people to... know you as Clarence from Cannonsburg. I mean, that's just that's yeah. who you are. <laughs> yeah, right? born, in fact, my grandmother was born in Cannonsburg in 19... Your grandmother? Was born wow. in Cannonsburg in 1916. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, so her parent. oh, so she's born in Cannonsburg. She's born in, in Cannonsburg. You're... Your grand, my mother, your great grandparents my, were yeah, in Cannonsburg. They, they came from yeah, they, they came from Virginia to Cannonsburg. Now, okay. see, I want to just drop just yeah, um, just drop this in there. The family name is Hairston. My grandmother's maiden. Oh, really? Hairston. Okay, yeah. Hairston. Okay. And one time I was looking up, you know, I knew my grandmother's last name. I knew my grandfather's name. My great grandfather's name. And so I'm looking up, you know, and this was big to go look up uh, censuses and stuff like that. And I ran across a something done in 1999 on 60 Minutes about the Hairston clan, right? It's one of the, it's like the second largest slave owning people, you know, in the United There's States. There's a ton there. of black people named Hairston. Yes, exactly. And that's ton. Yeah. And that was because they're one of the largest slave old. Only yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the family, yeah, the, the people who were slaves in the Harrisons kept the name. Kept the name, and, right? Yeah, and so 
I find this, and they have a website, they have a book, <laughs> you know, I bet. And I, yeah, and I and I emailed them to find out if I, you know, be, you know, with my great grandfather's name, see if I was part of that clan, and I am. You are. You're part of that. Yeah, I'm part yeah. of that 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 big that big, you know, Hairston clan thing. But, uh, yeah, so that's um, yeah. My my grandfather was a farmer and a coal. My great grandfather was a farmer and a coal miner in Cannesburg. And so, so he came yeah. up from Virginia. Yeah. Your great grandfather, okay, and he was a. Oh, my grandmother's father. side, yeah. Yeah. Was, okay. Yeah. My grandmother actually worked for Cannonsburg Ten and Plates at one point, <laughs> and on and on the railroad when it came through, those kind of things, yes. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and look what happened, Clarence from Cannonsburg. My God. After all funny, of that. Now, when you talked about the Italian American club, because people now, because of Sarah's stuff, thought that. Cannonsburg was a Greek town. It wasn't. It was an Italian town. You know, yeah, very, you know, very um, segregated back in the days when I talked to the old, well, their past, now the older Italian-American guys. when they So were, the white people were Italian generally. Yeah, Italian in and, Canada. you know, it, yeah, but they, no, I, I hate, I only want to call them because like friends of mine whose family's been here for a long time too, so you're, you're not white, you're Sicilian, quit it. Because they were just, they were, um, uh, discriminated against and all that kind of good stuff way back when. Just so you like didn't see people. them as white. You didn't no. see them as white. No, no, they were by Italian. I call I. You I said they're, they're white, but but I call them Sicilian so that they know, you know, that their grandfathers were not white people when they got. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, Don't try to act white when you're Sicilian. You know. Don't try it. Right. <laughs> okay. I was like, you're the N words of Italy, so. Quit it. I say the same thing to Irish friends. I have to. So you must have stopped trying well, to be white. Well, that's true. That's right. Absolutely. Literally, literally, you literally was a different race. Now. Yeah. It really. It's true, isn't it? It's, it's true. So listen, Clarence. Um, I gotta. I, I gotta. Get, I want to get my brother into the mix here. So. Oh, I, yeah. I want to hear him. Oh, let me get my coffee. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you know, I never asked you why you called. But I mean, I did. You call for a reason. Well, yeah, yeah, but you're off the subject, so I was talking. Uh, that's just a, a friend of mine named Big Scott and I were talking about, uh, you know, police violence against uh, against oh, black men, okay. and his name is okay. Big Scott, and he's yeah. bigger and darker than me, so he had a lot more problems than I did. We were, oh, wow. we were talking, we were we were talking about that. So, okay. uh, but uh, some other time, thing. yeah, some other time. Let Thank me let you. me caffeine up so your, your brother and his big words don't put me to sleep. <laughs> All right, goodbye. <laughs> okay, okay, bye. Bye. Um, he okay. He's not. He's phoning in um now, um, and he's he's actually sitting in the. He's lying on the bed. I'm sitting on a couch, and um, he's going home tomorrow. So uh, this is a last. Bill, are you there? Are you on? Do you hear me? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a little troublesome because I'm getting a little delay. So maybe you should um, go into another go into room. Another room. <laughs> okay. So, um, Bill, I should tell you that Clarence just said he was going to go get some more coffee. He needed to be caffeinated to stay awake through all your big words. <laughs> yeah, well, there's nothing, nothing more contemptible than a, a professor. Nothing. Yeah. I mean, you are in Europe, you are honored, kind of. Well, kind of. 
<laughs> but it, in America, you are like looked down upon as as the lowest hod carrier. I mean, you just are an object of ridicule. And I must I must say, justly so. I mean, I, I, there is more stupidity that goes on in the universities than just about anywhere outside of MAGA rally. So I mean, it's just. It's, it's just extraordinary. <laughs> Do your colleagues thought, know yes. that you have this lowly opinion of them? Yes, I think I think they do. I, a few of my colleagues share that view, but most don't. And I uh, I always thought that that society had too immured that means too walled institutions for what they consider dangerous people. One we call prisons, and the other we call institutions of higher learning, which are also immured. And we, we put, uh, you know, the, the people who we are fear for physical reasons in one, and then we put the people we fear for mental reasons in another, and that's, that's it. So I'm locked up in a university, although I'm only one-fourth locked up now because I'm three-fourths retired. I'm 75. Which means Three fourths retired, meaning what? You, you do teach so I'm just down to one one course uh, uh, every year and um and that, uh, one more to go and then i'm done for good uh you know at 75 your brain don't work much anymore well oh and god you okay yourself you know it doesn't work quite as well but and, and still... you at 73 brain is not working as well as it once tell did. me about it i know that and yeah. i think anybody who's listened to me over the years can probably notice a decline. <laughs> a decline. <laughs> well, if you, get, if you get dumb enough, a little more, you got ways to go. You can start addressing. You can run for Congress. And, uh, you, <laughs> right. Or I could turn to right wing radio. Yeah, that's right. You're right wing radio. You just yeah. get dumb enough. Yeah. Right. Sure. Okay. I wanted. I I really wanted Bill to tell a. Um, we were sitting outside yesterday. Believe it or not, I got a little sunburned in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And that's unbelievable. We were sitting outside because it was sunny. It was wonderful. And it was cold, colder. So, you know, you, you don't think of getting sunburned when it's cold, which is stupid. Okay, Bill, we were talking, I don't know how we started about, talking about social security. Yeah, we were talking about Social Security and risk, and I, I just brought up this story that Nino wanted me to come on the show. Nino is tell. me. Yeah, yeah. and I I can't um, uh, remember the details precisely, and it's not in a class or an area of law that I taught. So, but I remember the discussion around the kind of coffee table, and it was when the tobacco companies were being sued by uh, uh, several states for the costs that smoking uh, imposed on the, the healthcare systems of those states. And the states were suing to collect their costs for taking care of sickly people with, uh, you know, lung diseases. Well, it's exactly, it's exactly what we've seen uh, now in the, uh, with the opioid epidemic. Yeah, right. Right. So okay. the tobacco companies, so the, the states tally up what their damages and costs are <clears throat> for taking care of all these tobacco uh, uh, disorders. And the tobacco companies had a defense, an absolutely winning defense, which they could not end for PR reasons put forward. And the winning defense was this. 
that in fact, because tobacco does shorten life, and they know it, in fact, they were saving the state's money by knocking off people before they kept collecting their, you know, health care, unemployment, and, and, and Social Security, that the tobacco companies were doing a great service to the um, liquidity of the uh, Social Security system. And in fact, the state's damages were less than zero. We are saving you money, states. By you not no letting these people live by, into yeah, retirement. By yeah, by, by knocking people off early. And if you remember that, that when Social Security started, the average life expectancy was about 65 or 66. They, they, the, the feds were figuring they only had to fund one year at most. And so it was a very cheap uh, program. But one of the most startling things that's happened in the last 50 or 60 years has been the 20 to 25 five-year increase in life expectancy. And that means that old people are, you know, basically economically going to take down the polity. We live too long. So, and, and, and so the tobacco companies were thinking, we got a winning argument. We don't have to pay a cent, but they, they, they wouldn't make it because of course, why does the PR say, yeah, we know we kill people, but uh, there's other reasons, legal reasons why they wouldn't want to make it because it would give rise to a host of individual lawsuits of people who died uh, before their time. So, but they were caught in a bind where in fact, the, the, the case being brought by the states, uh, they had a perfect winning answer to, but nevertheless couldn't bring it. So oh, it's just one of those. Yeah, the, the interestingness of when you have a winning claim, but the winning claim is so horrifyingly immoral that you can't bring it forward. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but again, you know, it, it's when Nino was talking uh, earlier about the, our lunacy with regard to risk, uh, how little remote risks um, will will lead to you know, cowardly behavior and stupid behavior, whereas we under uh, we we incur risks twenty to hundred to two thousand to a million times greater on a daily basis that we don't even think about. Exactly, because it's just part of our lives. And you could actually argue that the pausing of the J and J vaccine is sort of stupid in terms of the crazy. risk. That's correct. <clears throat> they didn't have to pause it long when they found out that it was only women from the 20 to 50 who were getting killed. So you can go ahead. Uh, it's just women, right? Well, no, that was, a, <laughs> no, I, yeah, it, this is really in real numbers. It was, it, it's ridiculous. Oh, it was anyway. pathetically, even at its worst, worst, the risk of dying of COVID was still about, you know, a thousand yeah. times greater than the risk of dying of Johnson yeah. Johnson. Yeah. So I have to tell you, this is a funny story. And that's not funny. It's, it's, fun, it's funny to me, sort of, kind of. But um, I don't know if you, you saw this. There was a sweet guy, the middle school science teacher in Connecticut, who, um, who knew that some of his elderly neighbors, um, you know, were having trouble uh, finding, uh, getting food. And, and, and he, he started a, um, a Facebook page or a GoFundMe page or something to raise Facebook fundraiser, that's what it was, it, to um, 
to raise money so he could ha- he could continue to sort of he ended up raising um I don't know, 40 some thousand dollars, all of which he turned over in, in, in bags of food and rental assistance and anything else that these people, um, over a hundred people needed in, in his community. Did that all, all on his own. And then he got a letter. No, he didn't die. He got a letter from the IRS. Oh, it's income to him? It was income, and he had to be owed $16,000. Oh, my God. To the IRS. He has a charitable deduction that would cancel out the income. He needs to consult. I mean, I, well, but well, they said with, he, he didn't do it through a, he, so he unbeknownst to him, charity, right? Yeah. It was um, a third-party yeah. transaction that required. Um, a, so Facebook issued a 1099K form to the IRS because any transactions that exceed twenty thousand or something, I don't know what it is. Anyway, he couldn't believe it. And um, there's no way he's 27 years old. There's there's well, no way I can afford it. So it. what he's done yeah, is started another fundraising effort to pay it back. To pay it back, but this he says um, he's just asking if people could possibly just you know send, not use this third third party. I don't know how he can organize that, but. Uh, He's not using any online platform um, and is accepting donations by mail um, <laughs> directly from, from people. Oh, man. So, yeah, yeah well, unintended consequences yeah. of uh, of being a good soul. We have a, I want to share an email uh, Chuck wrote in. The media this morning, he said, are foaming at the mouth with anticipation of the Chauvin verdict. There's already plenty of fuel for this fire without the media throwing on more. I'm sorry, but I'm watching these morning news shows and my gut just tells me they are giddy about the possible advertising revenues that this verdict will generate. Hmm. Well, you know, it's not like you can't cover it, right? I, I, I know that I wish that there was a wall of silence around all these media attention seeker types. Right. Um, but uh, but the, the media has to cover certain things, and the Chauvin trial clearly is one of those things. But you know what they do, Bill? They over, again, I was talking about over They, they, they over cover. So yeah, they, yeah. it is 24-7. And, you know, I, I really don't understand. You should understand. go back to the 15-minute nightly news and the, yeah. that Douglas Edwards with the news in, uh, in 1955 <laughs> that I remember. And it was just that, and then it went back to I Love Lucy. It was a much healthier kind of universe with, with just that little little bit of. Yeah, you know, with that little bit of. With who was bombing who that day. <clears throat> Did you see the news, by the way, out in outer space today that, um, you know, when NASA put that that amazing landing on Mars, right, yeah, recently, yeah. 
you saw that and they and then it immediately starts beaming back uh, pictures and selfies from mars well they also uh put down a um i didn't know this uh, a a small relatively small drone uh helicopter and this was to see whether or not they could initiate flight from well, there's Mars. enough atmosphere to actually turn up. Uh, yeah, it's a hundred times. What is it? A hundred times again. This won't let me access the. Um, that helicopter took off today. From I'm the kidding. from so Mars. enough atmosphere there to to provide well, it, lift for the helicopter. Yeah, it was a it was its first test. Um, mm. So it just went up. <laughs> And there's pictures uh, taken from it where you can see its shadow on the surface of Mars. So it went up and then it, they brought it right back down. But they're going to, yeah, continue to um, deal now, this with this is thing. Propelled by, this is propelled by really a rotor blade uh, creating lift through air. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, oh my. I, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. I agree. Um, and it was just, I think, very, a very sort of, they, they weren't making a big to-do about it. It was just a side thing, but they were very excited when it, you know, when it managed to get up. Certain things like that, um, you know, I'm an old, I, my, my specialty is old Icelandic uh, sagas and the blood feuds of that period and stuff like that. And you're limited to the to written sources from the period, which you quickly exhaust and read them all. And now new information comes from archaeologists. And archaeologists now have at their disposal arrays of different areas of science. So we can tell anytime you find wood, you can date the wood exactly by tree rings. They have tree ring cycles going back like two like 1800 years so you could you can date a piece of wood when it was cut down they can even tell generally what forest it was cut down in but so here's a little story um there's no evidence none in the written record that the vikings landed at the that island off portugal madeira but some archaeologist finds a little bone a little bitty bone and it turns out to be a bone of a mouse now they have all kinds of data to show that they will, you know, they can identify the bone of any creature. So it turns out to be a mouse that is only found in Denmark. Oh wow! And it's a little thigh bone of a mouse that is unique to Denmark, which means which means that the Vikings got to Madeira but left no record. Obviously, they didn't do enough to make it worth telling about or, or you know, carted off a few slaves and it wasn't big enough expedition to generate any other anything in a written record. But a mouse jumped off the boat and stayed behind. <laughs> was abandoned. And from that little mouse or from the bone of that little mouse, we can tell that a bunch of Danes got there in about eight, 52. Oh, wow. Isn't that something? Isn't yeah. that something? I yeah, mean, this is information is. that simply a medievalist like myself 
it was, it was unavailable to me as few as 40 years ago, 30 years ago. This is just stuff that's new information that these people are putting together. It's just extraordinary. Wow. They can tell whether a stone, if they find a stone on a beach, they can now tell in most cases, not all, but they can tell where the stone came from and whether it's a native stone by how the ions line up or whatever. I mean, and, and they can tell by the corpse of anybody with teeth where that person grew up. Any skeleton that has teeth, they can locate them within a couple, yes. like a county to where they grew up. Amazing, really. Something else, huh? So here I, I finally um, got my computer to let me access this. Um, <clears throat> back to the, the helicopter on Mars. It says flying on Mars is on the edge of impossible because there is not much air to push against. Not enough air to, to provide the lift. That's what I'm right. So, so he says at the surface of Mars, the atmosphere is just one one hundredth as dense as Earth. Oh, okay, okay. So this so to generate there. enough lift for its own. Only a four-pound uh, yeah. helicopter yeah, to rise up. It's two rotors, each about four feet wide, had to spin in opposite directions at more than 2,500 revolutions yeah, yeah. a minute. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like try. It's like uh, the coffin corner in an airplane when you when you can't generate it. The atmosphere gets too thin, and you can't generate enough lift without flying at a speed that'll break apart the the, the uh, aircraft. Well, I remember oh. when I, I asked you um, when I was going to Bolivia, um, I, I asked yeah. you to maybe come with me. And um, and the excuse I you said, used, I'm not landing at La Paz Airport. <laughs> I got, no you, you said, I'm not landing at that airport. Long. Yeah. Because it would be 20 miles long to get enough lift. Oh, God. I think it is the highest airport international airport in the world and yeah. it is at um i'm trying to remember now what is it thirty thousand feet it can't be that high but it, would, it might be twenty thousand feet or twenty two thousand uh, feet yeah somebody look up what the la paz airport thirty thousand feet would put it higher than everest right so i don't know well you can't but breathe i'll tell you that you know they tell you before you fly when you get off the plane they say you're leaving a pressurized cabin um, <laughs> and they give you that there are like handrails that you're to hold on to yeah. lest you collapse the minute you walk off yeah. the plane. I was in really rough shape. I mean, I well, was, has any of the, your listeners, I mean, even if fly into Denver on a hot summer day, I have been on one flight where I, uh, people where they had to take off fuel and ask passengers to get off of the full flight because the uh, the with the, the it was like 102 outside and with uh, you know uh, air gets thinner as it gets hotter it expands molecules you know whatever uh, th there wasn't enough lift to get the plane off the ground at its present weight so they had to take off fuel and take off people. Uh, to be able to take off. Well, then one can only that's imagine going, how the hell Denver, I got out of La Paz. That's at Denver at a mile high. That's at 5,200 feet. Oh. So, you know. Geez. Well, I'm glad I didn't understand all that. 
Ozak says it's the sixth highest airport in the world, and it is 13,000. La Paz is 13,323 feet, and the airport is a thousand miles above it. Um, a thousand feet, yeah. excuse me. So, because you you land at the airport and then you drop down into La Paz at thirteen thousand, and so it's fourteen thousand. Yeah, gee whiz. And yeah. and what was fascinating is when we were on a bus that was driving us down into the city, um, and I'm barely able to breathe. I'm sick to my stomach. I got a blinding headache, and I'm looking out the window. And there are these barrel-chested natives, indigenous people, walking up the mountain with packs on their heads, carrying these, you know, bundles and walking up. And I'm thinking, my well, they're God. Built, they're built and their lungs for, are, well, their shape and lungs are for the, they have a much bigger chest. Their hearts are bigger. Their hearts are bigger. And they chew a lot of cocoa leaves. <clears throat> well, when I got to the um, bus, dropped us off at the hotel, um, I was literally hanging on the counter checking in. And the guy looked at me and he said, don't worry. We'll send a, an oxygen tank up to your room and we'll send you some coca tea. <laughs> and I was just, I was chewing on coca. I and it didn't help. I it just did not help. Uh, I'm sucking on oxygen, and nothing. It took my body a good three, four days to to acclimate. Nevertheless, our mother handled it with a plum. No, no, because this was my second trip, and oh. she never landed, and she only went into the. She never landed at La Paz. She landed oh. in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, which is in the Amazon River Basin. So oh. no, there was no trouble, no trouble breathing. Oh gosh, Bill, we went over time. You, we um, went over time. Okay, yeah. Bye, 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 sister. Bye, bye, bye Bill. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for your great stories. And guys, I'll be, uh, I guess I'll be back tomorrow. I might get used to this. And um, and I guess Susan will be joining us. It's a family affair. Okay? Have a good one. Be safe. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.